If you would tonight, join me in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. The book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. I'd like to read just one verse there. I, I feel like the Lord helped me with something today. And uh, I want God to speak to this church tonight. I was on the phone today with one of my dear friends, Pastor Jonathan Voskis. And he was sharing with me some research that he had done. I'm going to use some of his research tonight to preach to you what I believe is a word from God for this church. And not just for this church, but for the body of Christ in this end time hour. I was thinking to myself as you're turning to 1 Samuel 17, 32, that if, if what we're seeing right now in cataclysmic proportion is not enough to make people believe we've come to the end time. I really don't know what else the Lord's going to have to do to wake up the North American church. But I've been praying and asking God that he would raise up and resurrect, if you would, breathe life into a remnant of the church right now. The Lord spoke to me in the first week of this pandemic and told me specifically, he said, if you've ever wanted to see what the separation of wheat and chaff look like, this is it. And so now for several months, we've been watching separation happen. And I've been asking the Lord to raise up a remnant that would be willing to put the pedal to the wall and give it all we've got one more time. I told the Lord, I said, if you, if you decide to come, certainly I want to be ready to go. And I said, Lord, if you'll give us a chance to send a few more missionaries, plant a few more churches. I, I told God this week, I said, Lord, I just, I can't bring myself to believe that I've preached on foreign soil for the last time in my life. I just, I don't believe it yet. I'm asking God to just bust the door wide open, whether he has to do it through governments or whatever he has to do, or move governments or hide governments or whatever. I believe that the will of God is before the trumpet sounds. Now, if it sounds before we leave here tonight, I'm all right. But I believe that the will of God is for us to have one more powerful revival before the trumpet sounds. If you're at 1 Samuel 17, 32, say amen. If you're not there after all of that rambling, just say amen and look at the screen and act like... Act like you found it. Praise God. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. He's talking about Goliath. He said, Let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Because thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. 
Don't let any man's heart fail him because of Goliath. Because I'm going to go get him. I'm not a fan of the NLT. But this is what it said. And I wanted to share with you a, a comparison if I could. The NLT says, don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. I want to preach to you tonight from this subject, if I could, the moment of decision. You may be seated in Jesus' name. God's going to do something in this place tonight. Perhaps one of my favorite biblical stories and one of the favorites of all humankind is that of David and Goliath. Because, to be quite honest with you, there are people that don't even have strong biblical foundations that could tell you the story about David and Goliath. It's a very, it's a very popular story. And so, the biblical story of how young David beat the Philistine giant Goliath in combat armed only with a sling and stones, has captured the minds of people for thousands and thousands of years. It's such a popular story even outside of biblical understanding that it was a majorly popular theme in Renaissance art. The artist loved to portray heroes and especially, especially biblical heroes. And so... Their depictions of the great feats of biblical characters were often intended to build the faith of the viewer. As people would walk by, their hopes were supposedly to cause people to see triumph and victory in that statue and to turn their heart toward God, knowing that he delivered David from Goliath and that he could deliver you from whatever giant you faced. The famed Italian sculptor by the name of Donatello created what is considered to be his best statue. Depicting this David that we read tonight who was triumphantly stepping on the head of Goliath. He, in his sculpture, he has a severed head laying on the ground. And David is standing there with his foot on the top of that severed head. It's believed that Donatello sculptured this and finished the work in about 1443. Titian's 1544 painting showed David standing atop a prone and decapitated Goliath. In 1624, an Italian painter named Tanzio, crafted a beautiful painting of young David holding Goliath's severed head. Another Italian artist, Del Veraccio, also made an iconic bronze statue of David holding the severed head of Goliath. These artists all had one thing in common. They were attempting to capture and some way, somehow, even memorialize the iconic moment in David's life where victory was wrought over the enemy. 
Their goal was to capture the very moment that David, who later became the king of Israel, became the hero of Israel. His adversary was literally one of biblical proportion. The mortal enemy of the Hebrew people was perhaps the Philistines. And they had invaded Judah, the land of praise. If you've been around biblical studies in Hebrew whatsoever, especially around Pentecost, you know that somewhere at some camp meeting and some conference that somebody's going to preach about Judah, and Judah means praise. And so it's interesting that Goliath came in and attacked Judah, the land of praise. In 1 Samuel 17 and 1, the lines are clearly drawn. That the Philistines had gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belonged to Judah. They came to Judah to invade rather than any other tribe. It was not Zebulun, the tribe of Zebulun, which means prince, that they came to attack. It was absolutely not the tribe of Gad, which means luck or good fortune. That they came to attack. The enemy understood that the strength of Israel was not in their fortune. That the strength of Israel was not in their princes and their kings. But rather in the king of kings. In whom there was no shadow of turning. Because when Israel began to praise their God. The enemy knew if I can shut down praise. I'm telling you right now, I would not give a plug nickel to be a part of a dead, dried up church. I'm glad to be a part of a praising church. I'm glad to be a part of a shouting church. I'm glad to be a part of a dancing church. It's like the Philistines had this idea. That if we can defeat the land of Judah, the land of praise, we can defeat all of them. Now, you listen to this preacher when I tell you tonight, the devil's a lot of things, but he's not a fool. He's a liar, but he's not a fool. He is extremely strategic in his attack. Everything that's mentioned in the Bible is mentioned for a purpose and a reason. And there was absolutely a reason that the Philistines came first to Judah. There was a reason that they came to attack Judah. So I'm telling you tonight to all of you apostolics who sometimes feel like your praise is truly a sacrifice of praise. When you come in and you're weary and you don't feel like clapping your hands and you don't feel like lifting your hands and you've got aches in your back and aches in your feet and arthritis in your hands and you don't want to clap and you don't want to stomp and you don't want to shout and it feels like it's work for you. I just want to tell you something tonight. There is no substitute for your praise. And the enemy knows what happens when you begin to praise. And he knows that all he has to do is just get you discouraged just a little bit and keep you pegged down in your seat and keep your back against the wall and you won't praise him. But somebody in this house came with a made-up mind
mind tonight. I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. He's worthy of my praise when I'm happy. He's worthy of my praise when I'm sad. He's worthy when I'm lifted up. And he's worthy when I've been put down. He's worthy when I feel good. And he's worthy when I don't. But nevertheless, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is worthy of my praise. The devil's attack on your praise is very calculated because if he can ever shut your mouth, he knows the power that's in your praise. If he can ever keep you down, he knows you'll never get back up. Now, There has never been depicted by Hollywood or a cartoon artist, in my opinion, a villain any more intimidating than Goliath. I've preached about Goliath so many times in my ministry, and I feel like every time I preach about him, he gets a little more fierce. But if you read the 17th chapter, you find out that before anybody ever squared off with Goliath, that they already had him measured up. If you read in this chapter, you find out that while the army of Israel is being held captive and afraid on one side of the valley, and Goliath for 40 days has been issuing a challenge to them on the other side of the valley, that before anybody ever walked close enough to respond to the challenge, they had his height at six cubits in a span. That's nearly 10 foot tall. It was estimated that he weighed probably 600 pounds if his BMI was anywhere close to normal. But they had his spear weighing that of a weaver's beam. They had all of his armor weighed out. They had it all weighed out. And that right there is the intimidating spirit that keeps us locked up in our relationship with God. Before you ever step into the battle, you start measuring up how much it's going to cost and how bad your defeat's going to be. But I'm telling you right now that if God would send somebody in this hour that's got enough boldness to put your measuring tape away. Before we ever find a man that's willing to fight Goliath, we find an entire army that's got him measured up. I feel like telling you tonight, you've got to stop measuring the mountain. You've got to stop measuring the opposition and realize that if God be for us, somebody preach it to me. Who? I'm not trying to sound overconfident or bold tonight. But you do realize that a spirit of intimidation has come against our nation and the body of Christ. And before we ever counted on the power of the name of Jesus, we started measuring how many people were going to die in the United States. I remember the first Sunday that we canceled church. 
They said that by the first week of April, there would be over 180,000 people dead. Man, they had everybody scared to death. And we were standing over against the other side of the valley of Elah. And we started calculating, oh God, what are we going to do if so-and-so gets sick? What are we going to do if they get sick? And we started measuring up the opposition that was coming against the church. And I don't know how to say this without it sounding arrogant, but it's not to brag on me or to brag on you. I've come to brag on Jesus tonight. And I feel that same spirit inside of me that rose up against Goliath and David that said, you come to me with a sword and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. I want to tell you tonight, I've never met a sickness that our God was not greater. If Goliath's sheer size was not enough to intimidate you, he was outfitted with full bronze armor, just the tip of his spear. If you start calculating all that together, weighed somewhere between 15 and 20 pounds. Now, there was a time that it wouldn't have been as big of a deal for me to just carry around a 20-pound dumbbell. But I can't imagine that being my weapon to throw at somebody. You understand what I'm saying? The man was weighed up. He had it. And the mere sight of Goliath absolutely shattered the faith of King Saul and the Israelite army. There was nobody that was willing to stand up and declare that their God was greater than the intimidation of that giant. Their God was greater than the gods of the Philistines. That they stood for 40 days. Folks, think about this now. I don't have time to go real, real deep into this because i, I got to get to where I'm going. But it dawned on me for the first time in my life just a few months ago at how real specific the enemy is when he comes against God's children. If you read it, the Bible said that it was morning and evening. That Goliath came out for 40 days, morning and evening. Somebody shout that, morning and evening. And he would come out and he would curse them morning and evening. And he intimidated them for 40 days. And I never really understood the power of why he came out twice a day in the morning and the evening. Until one day I was studying through the Levitical priesthood. And I started reading about the way that the Lord had sacrifice ordained to be working through the priesthood. And he told the priesthood, he said, morning and evening, I want you to offer sacrifice. And I started picking up on the language, morning and evening, morning and evening. It was at the greatest time of sacrifice in the day that the intimidating spirit became not only an intimidating spirit, but hear me in the Holy Ghost. He became a distracting spirit. He came at a time when they should have been sacrificing to God. But he came as an intimidating spirit. That was a distracting spirit. You hear this preacher when I tell you that even in the midst of all the chaos in this world, morning and evening, there still has to be somebody that's willing to sacrifice and give God your best. You listen to what I'm telling you. 
There are distracting spirits that are working in the earth right now. That if the enemy can get us distracted and intimidated, he don't have to do anything else. Some of you still trying to figure out who's going to save us, a Democrat or a Republican. And I got a pretty good idea. There isn't one of them that saved us yet. Well, that's all right, choir. Y'all can be seated. They're the reason we're in the mess we're in. Oh, yeah. And I know which party caused it. No, you don't. I'll tell you what party caused it. It's any of them that let the spirits of Antichrist and the powers of hell work through them. That's who caused it. Come on, you don't have to run on that, but somebody ought to be jumping on it at least. Spirit of perversion, bunch of pedophiles, bunch of disgusting puke. I'm not turning my head to it. I'm praying against them every day. It's time we start calling out what they are and the spirits that they produce and the spirits that they push. You hear me when I tell you, they are not the hope of this world. There is only one saving hope for this world. It's the name of Jesus and the church that wears that name. People just look at that and think, oh my goodness, how sickening and how disgusting is that? And you know, they look at all this darkness that's being exposed right now and who went to whose island and who did this and who did that. You do know it's a mockery of the scripture. That's what it is. Every bit of this goes all the way back to the God of Molech. Offering children on an altar of fire. And we're sitting around fussing about who's going to save us and who's going to, you know. I mean, I got, I got my hopes and I feel like I got some things that I'm praying about and I hope God will help us and I hope he gives us a season and I hope he gives us somebody that will keep the church going and won't try to close us down. All that's important to me. I understand that. But that's not where my hope is. Because there are people right now in this world that are putting us to shame in America. We act like a bunch of spoiled democratic brats. Like this is some democracy that we get a say so in the kingdom of God. Oh, no, 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 brothers and sisters. Let me tell you that today in mainland China where they've told them not to gather in his name. There were people gathered in his name. There were people worshiping in his name. You can't, you can't stop the kingdom of God with all that foolishness. Don't get distracted by that junk. God gave us an amazing thing when it comes to what we listen to. Two things that will fix it, all right? One of them is your mouth because you can speak up and say, I don't want to hear it. And if that's not enough, he gave you two legs. You can walk out. Boy, that went over right there like Velcro to zipper convention. <laughs> I'm so sick of the powers of darkness distracting God's people. Making us feel like our hope is in Capitol Hill. Negative, amigo. My hope's not in Capitol Hill, it's in Calvary's Hill. 
He's already paid the price. He's already made a difference. He's already shed enough blood to set the captive free. Now, I feel like God has been trying to lay some things out to us with the story, perhaps, of David and Goliath that we may have overlooked for a long time. God has ways of sending unorthodox moves of revival that catches the enemy off guard. Because for 40 days... Goliath said, send me a man. But when God couldn't find a man that was willing to fight, then the Lord said, I'll send a boy. Because Goliath thinks the strength is in the boy. But the boy knows his strength. I'm praying that God would resurrect and raise up in this hour a bunch of apostolics that the devil never even saw you coming. He thought he had you wrapped up as a drug addict. He thought he had you wrapped up in false doctrine. He never even saw you coming. But when you start moving his direction, he's going to laugh at you and intimidate you. But you're about to get a, whoa, you're about to get a boldness on you. You go ahead and laugh. You go ahead and make fun, devil. You go ahead and mock all you want to. You may not be what you thought was coming, but he that's in me is greater than he that's in the world. Be seated. Not a single man the army of Israel was willing to rise to the challenge. And among the soldiers that were hiding and cowered behind Saul in the ranks of the Israelite army were David's own brothers who despised him because of the anointing that was on his life. Eliab was the most vocal of all of those brothers. In the realm of common sense, you really have to ask the question, who can blame them for not wanting to stand up? When what you're looking at is bigger than you, it's easier to just sit back and fold your hands and say, God, please make this go away. But I'm telling you tonight that some things won't go away on their own. They're not going to go away while your armor's sitting empty and you're trying to tell somebody else how to wear it. Maybe I should rewind that. Say it again. There's a lot of people that have the same syndrome Saul had. It's called empty armor syndrome. They're not willing to wear it, but they sure like to tell other people how. They love to get up and preach on prayer, but you can tell they don't pray because they downloaded their sermon. That went over like a lead balloon. When I was a kid, forgive me for sounding really, really carnal right here. I've prayed and God forgive me of my ways. But I liked Rocky Balboa. Your way, Trip. 
And I remember when Rocky was fighting the Russian. He stepped into the ring. The ringside announcer said, This is a match between David and Goliath. Rocky. <laughs> oh, man. When they started giving the tail of the tape, if you're a boxer, you know what I'm talking about, the tail of the tape. Whose reach is longer, who's taller, who weighs the most. Man, they throwed rocks up there, you know. Rock didn't have the reach. He didn't have the height, didn't have the weight. The Russian was going to smash him. And all the favor was in the direction of Goliath. It was leaning hard. Because the adversary was way too large. He was way too bold. He was way too intense. He was way too accomplished. He was the champion. The adversary was way too strong. And everything was weighed out already. It was a done deal. He was a man of war from his youth. He was the greatest. He was a champion. He had been an overcomer for a long time. He was an accuser. He was whatever you want to call him. He had it all together. But standing there before God's people was a challenge of unprecedented proportions. This had nothing to do with the size of the giant and had everything to do with the size of the God that he was cursing. I'm saying to you that the tale of the tape didn't tell the story because that which was invisible... That which was unseen, that which you could not see with your eyes, was by far more powerful than any adversary that would ever raise his head against God's people. You ever been in a situation, please don't raise your hand, where what you were going through was worse than what anybody else had ever gone through. Everybody got the flu, but they didn't get it like you got it. You understand what I'm saying? Some people get the common cold and they're out of commission for six months because they can't breathe. And it's awful. And nobody ever been sick like this, Pastor. I understand. Except since the last time you got sick like that. You ever talk to those people It's always got to one up you You know Man I was so sick Oh I had that too But let me tell you how bad I had it Well that wasn't the case this day Because it's for real true That Goliath Was the greatest that they had And the army of Israel They had fought the Philistines before But not like this because this was not a battle. Although it would be attributed to the entire army of Israel, he didn't ask for the army. He asked for a man. Oh, I'm fixing to go somewhere that I hope y'all want to go. Some of us are waiting on kingdom-wide victory that will only come through individuals who are willing to rise to the occasion and step forward in faith and be willing to fight as individuals for the greater good of the body of Christ. Oh, my, my, my. And so, David, he comes to 
the scene and his loud-mouthed brother, Eliab, he says, what are you doing here? He said, well, I actually came to bring you some bologna and cheese and crackers. You're full of bologna. I came over here to do what my father asked me to do. Hey, can I interject something right here? Can I just interject right here and be kind and as sweet as I can? There's a little, a little principle you can learn from David right here. If you're doing what your father told you to do, it don't matter what anybody else says about it. <laughs> what do you think you're doing here? And David is bum-fuzzled. Is that a real word? Anybody here ever been bum-fuzzled? He's like, what's wrong with you, man? You see this? They're like, huh? Well, it's not our problem. And that's the spirit of the age. It's not our problem. And so David lifts up his voice. Y'all could preach this to me right here. He asked him a question. He said, well, is there not a cause? And I think that's where God's got us as the body of Christ right now. We need somebody that's willing to find the cause and fight for it. If holiness don't matter to you, you won't fight for it. If doctrine don't matter to you, you won't fight for it. If everybody else is going to heaven, you'll never fight for the new birth. It's a universal age, the spirit of compromise. All it's got to do is just convince us there's not a cause. I'll do my thing, you do your thing. I hope you're right, you hope I'm right. No, no, no. I want my life to line up with the word of God. And I don't care if you can find another preacher that will bless it and tell you it's all right. If it's contrary to the word of God, it's still sin. There is a cause. There is a cause. And David lined himself up, not with the challenge, but with the cause. Are you hearing what I'm preaching? David did not line himself up with the giant. He lined himself up with the cause because the cause will always be greater than adversity. I remember one time I was preaching about David and I'm, I'm hurrying. I got, I got to get where I'm going. I'm kind of dragging here. I was preaching about David. Got the 17th chapter. And pastor said that he, he ran to Goliath. I thought, well, you big dummy. You've seen the trepidation of your brothers, and you've seen how messed up Saul was and all that, and you're going to run towards it? And somebody said, yeah, I was trying to outrun his fear, but I didn't buy that. I believe what David was running for, the purpose of his running, was not something that he learned on the battlefield. It was something that he learned on a hillside watching his father's sheep. That when anybody tries to come against God's people, when anybody tries to come against God's property, never will succeed. And so some said that David was trying to outrun his fear. But I tell you what I believe he was doing. 
I believe David realized that that sucker has stood over there for 40 days and has ran his mouth against God and against God's people. And God ain't going to put up with it. And God's going to use somebody to shut his mouth. And if I'll hurry up and run, it might just be me. Somebody ought to get in a hurry tonight. Somebody ought to... Somebody ought to get in a hurry tonight and say, God's going to bring deliverance in this thing. God's going to bring revival in this. God have mercy. And if I'll hurry up. My musicians had to put their seatbelt on because I'm not that close. You can be seated. Something has to give. Something has to happen. Something has to break. And this is what I've been praying in prayer every day. God, something's got to break. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to let you in on my personal prayer life. I'm just telling you, that's what I'm praying every day. God, something's got to break. Because either this world's going to break or the church is going to break and we're finally going to get what you're trying to tell us. But something's got to break. I just, please just let me vent or something for a second right here. I'm not trying to be negative or derogatory. I'm just trying to figure out how in the world people are still playing games right now. I mean, dear God. In the middle of chaos in the world, we're like, oh, I think I'm going to go play golf today instead of being in the house of God. I, I heard a joke a long time ago about a guy that hit a hole in one on Sunday. But he never could brag on it. Because he was supposed to be sick. Some of y'all get that when you lay down tonight. <laughs> they said he hit that ball, and an angel just came down and took his golf ball and took it right up on the green and dropped it right in the hole. He threw his club, danced and shouted. Wasn't nobody playing with him because he was the only carnal one in the church. <laughs> he couldn't tell nobody, Brother Jordan, because the pastor thought he was sick. What are you going to do? I just can't figure out. I, forgive me, y'all, if I sound negative, because I don't, I don't mean to be negative. But I'm pretty sure that right now, whatever it was I was frustrated with, I could live with. I could figure out a way to pray myself through this thing. Boy, have mercy. When I stand back and I look and think, God, something's got to break, the only thing I feel is just keep doing what you know to do. Just keep on pushing, keep on fighting, keep on preaching, keep on praying, keep on fasting. I'm not going to stop now. There's a cause. And the cause is greater than the confusion. Let me get where I'm going. I'm hurrying. Everybody doing all right? The year was 1464. 
the Office of Works in Florence, Italy, decided to commission a sculpture depicting the moment that David became a hero. They commissioned a sculptor by the name of Agostino di Duccio to produce a sculpture of David. So, a block of Carrara marble was duly purchased from a quarry in northern Tuscany, and they brought it, and they set it up in Florence, and Agostino set to his task, but only managed to complete a small amount of work before he just completely abandoned the project and walked away from it. They, they have no uh, reason why, just for unknown reasons. He just started the project, and he walked off. Well, by 1500... The authorities were desperate to find a sculpture that could transform their neglected block of marble into the sculpture that was worthy of the city's cathedral. Several artists were interviewed, including a halfway known guy by the name of Leonardo da Vinci. But even da Vinci didn't fit the bill. And along came this young 26-year-old man named Michelangelo, whom they awarded the commission. The onset of this message tonight, I recounted some of the great Renaissance artworks on the subject of David and Goliath. And of all of those works that I told you about tonight, these great works always depicted David after the battle, either holding the head of Goliath, standing with his foot on the head of Goliath. He was the victorious hero standing triumphant in victory over the giant. So Michelangelo begins chipping away at the marble on the discarded block that was abandoned. Had chisel marks on it that were left from other artists. A piece of stone that the masters thought was unworthy to be used. And slowly, out of the cold, hard stone, David begins to be unveiled. On the 8th of September, 1504, the statue was finished. The statue weighed more than six tons, but it ignited the hearts of everyone who saw it. David established Michelangelo as one of the greatest Renaissance artists and sculptors of all times. Michelangelo considered how he would approach his sculpture of David in contrast to all of the earlier portraits and portrayals and uh, statues of David. And as Michelangelo deliberately depicted David before the fight with Goliath, you find his picture, his sculpture. If you look it up, just look it up without your kids in the room. Because he did it completely naked. But David is standing. And the only thing he has is a sling over his shoulder. And his eyes are gazing off in the distance. He didn't do it. With David holding the head of the defeated Goliath. He didn't do it with David's foot on the head of the defeated Goliath. He did it with David holding the sling in his hand over his shoulder. And his eyes gazing off into destiny. And it was in this moment right here. That Michelangelo said that his sculpture was not about the completed work but about the moment of decision. This is where David...
became a hero. He said others have said that David became a hero when the work was finished. But anybody can rejoice in the finished work. He said the moment of decision when David became a hero was when he stood and looked off in the distance and he counted the cost and he said, I see a a sword, I see a spear, I see a shield, but all I've got is the name of the Lord and it is enough. I want to preach to you tonight about the church triumphant. And I want to tell you that if the church waits until we cross old Chili Jordan to act triumphant, it's already too late. If you wait until we walk through gates of pearl, it's too late. If you wait until you touch walls of jasper, it's too late. We will not become mighty when we cross over. We will be mighty in that moment of decision where we square up and say, this is bigger than I am. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how God's going to get it, but I trust him. Won't it be wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear. Joyously singing with heart bells all ringing. I've lived my life hearing people talk about how wonderful heaven was going to be. And then walking through this life depressed. Down. Out. Downtrodden. Their brain beaten to a billion pieces every week by the powers of darkness. You listen to what I'm telling you tonight. If you can't give victory here... Somebody in this house tonight is going to have a moment of decision where you're going to decide tonight, I'm not going to wait to rejoice till this is over. I'm going to square up with the adversary tonight and declare this is your last day, big boy. You have sounded off for your last time. I'm coming up out of this. I'm crawling up out of my depression. I'm coming up out of this hardship. I'm climbing out. I'm climbing out. I'm climbing out. Great is he that's in me than he that's in the world I'm coming out I can't wait to get to heaven I can't wait to see my savior I can't wait to bow down at his feet but I'm not going to wait till then this is our finest hour this is our finest moment it's time for the church to arise It's time for us to walk in victory. It's time for us to put away intimidation and walk. Paul told Timothy, I'm coming to a close. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 and 1, 2 Timothy 3 and 1, he said, know this, that perilous times are going to come. Some say, oh man, I can't believe God saved the perilous times for the end time. Listen to what I'm telling you. You're reading it backwards. God didn't save perilous times for the end time. 
He saved his end time church for perilous times. We've got a perspective that nobody else in the world has but the blood-bought children of the king. Because while this world is scared to death and they have no hope, I've already seen the end of the story. And the accuser of the brethren is going to be bound up in a great chain and cast into the bottomless pit. And we're going to rejoice forevermore. I'm waiting right now. I'm waiting for somebody to recognize what I've been preaching to you. It is in your Holy Ghost DNA that you are more than a conqueror. You are more than an overcomer. You are more than a victor. And tonight is the moment of decision where you decide, I refuse to live this way. I will overcome. Come on. Come on, don't make me pull it out of you tonight. Don't wait for the kick drum. Don't wait for the music to get kicked off. This is your moment of decision right now. This is the moment where you decide, I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of playing around with God. I'm tired of trying to figure out if it's necessary. I'm tired of trying to figure out if it's true. Buy the truth and sell it not. Buy into the kingdom and walk on with Jesus. Some of you have been wrestling. The picture you've got in your mind is of that great day when he is cast into the bottomless pit. But hear this preacher when I tell you right now. You won't see him cast into the bottomless pit if you can't even cast him out of your house. You can't even sleep at night because that sorry lying rascal whispers in your ear, I'm bigger than you. I'm greater than you. You're going to fail. You're going to be lost. Your kids are going to be lost. I plan on being there the day that he's cast into the pit. But I'm here right now tonight. And I'm telling him he's not welcomed in this house either. God is fighting for us. Pushing back the dark. Lighting up the kingdom.